0: This is the War on Waste Innovation, Chapter 6, Part 2, Nonlinear Thinking. Traditional school programs teach us using linear methodology. Linear thinking teaches us that every problem, the manifestation of an effect, has a cause. With linear thinking, we are taught how to link a cause to an effect. It teaches that each problem, there is a right solution. Further, it teaches that there is a right way to solve a problem. And the solution techniques are based upon Aristotelian logic that was permeated Western thinking since the Middle Ages. For example, accounting is a linear thinking discipline. Capture data on a general ledger account Roll the numbers up to a summary account and make a decision based upon the output. If the number is high, we do X. If it is right on, we do nothing. And if it is low, we do Y. Nice and ducky. Finance tells us what investment to make based on numbers. Economics and finance tell us to open a new plant in Texas based upon forecasts of economic indicators of a rapid growth in a particular segment of the market for south-central section of the United States. The logic is irrefutable. Determine the cause of an effect, and the action is crystal clear. Linear thinking demands results. Linear thinkers have to blame someone to move forward. If someone isn't to blame, we would have a problem here. We wouldn't have a problem here. Someone has definitely screwed up, and we need to find that person. Unfortunately, business decisions are largely nonlinear. They flow from intuition and not logic. They are jumps of thought and are probably more emotionally based than rationally based. Nonlinear thinking says that there is more than one solution to any problem. Nonlinear thinking says that there is a, no right way to solve a business problem. In fact, I use the example of solving an equation in algebra by making an analogy here. If you're given 10 equations and 10 unknowns, you can solve the equations exactly following the linear thinking model of algebra. But when you have 10 equations and 20 unknowns, many solutions will fit. And that is what nonlinear think- thinkers have to do. They choose one of the many solutions to those equations and run with it. Experience and intuition, logic, common sense, whatever you can muster is used to make the decision. I like to tell clients that it doesn't make sense to worry about whether you have the right solution because tomorrow's problem was today's solution. In other words, you make a decision today based on all the facts that you have at your disposal and you run with the solution. Don't look back because you can be guaranteed that it is going to be a problem. Today's solution is tomorrow's problem. I remember one day after I had labored for 11 hours in front of employees at a metal cutting manufacturing plant that made a valve used in the semiconductor industry. I was tired. I really wanted to go home. The employees at this particular company were feisty and required a lot of my energy one of the employees who had ended his shift about an hour before had stayed around to talk to me. By the way, that is not unusual because when you begin a war on waste engagement, people take it very seriously and are willing to put in an extra effort to make it succeed. He told me that he'd been thinking about what I was saying in class and he'd stayed around to discuss with me his violent disagreement with me on one thing. As he told me his problem, I was suddenly hit with an inspiration. This man had objected to my statement that the program I was delivering was logical. And he told me it wasn't logical at all, but it made sense. After he said that, I was flummoxed for a moment, but he was right. What I was saying in class was not rigorously true in pure Aristotelian logic, but it made business sense. The machinist was worrying about the lack of preciseness to the war on waste process. It does not generate precise solutions. It gives employees who are implementing solutions lots of wiggle room in their implementation. We say in the war on waste that it's okay if it doesn't work, find out what's wrong. Why it didn't work, test another solution and move on. Just do it. But it works because it moves the company forward. It causes productivity to improve and people involved in the process feel engaged in the business. Nonlinear thinking says that it is better to do something than nothing. Action is more important than the immediate results. Nonlinear thinking says that progress is made when an action takes place. We learn from our efforts. And anything is better than nothing. We usually don't think to commit suicide in business, but we know that we will make mistakes. And if it doesn't work, that's okay, because we have just learned another way that didn't work. The war on waste is rooted in nonlinear logic. We don't need to blame someone to move forward. It doesn't make sense to blame someone for a problem. Just fix it. This is all part of creating a company with a sense of urgency. Make a decision. Learn from it and then improve it. More of management decision making is based on nonlinear thinking than we realize. For instance, "I don't care what you do, just do something," is one such example. Urgency management is a nonlinear process. It is based on five sixty seven action. Five percent of the features give sixty seven percent of the benefit, not rigorous logic. Just get going, forget all the procedures, forget all the crap about why things aren't getting done, just get going. We need some output here, not results, not out of this plant. And finally, but we have to make sure that all the waste is totally eliminated. The reason that the war on waste works so well is it has a singular focus, eliminate waste by following the scientific method. This process begins by collecting data that quantifies the size of waste. The linear thinking approach to this is to collect a bunch of data, and you can't do any analysis until you have a lot of it, statistically significant samples. And when you analyze the data, and you analyze the detail out of the data, and it confuses the people that need the information. The nonlinear approach begins by collecting data for a few days, a little data, spot check and see what that tells you. That is where we discovered the value of 567 thinking. We looked at only 5% of the total data and we made a decision that was pretty solid when we look back on the results. I love to do this with the anal retentive linear thinkers because it blows their mind. They can't make a decision unless there is tons of data to substantiate a point. Let me give you a good example. A client of mine made DNA oligos. Those are the small segments of DNA used by biotech research to probe the inner workings of DNA in organisms. They were having a problem trying to get to the root cause of a particular problem. The team working on this problem was stymied. I told them to get off their butts and get me some information. Then one of the guys stepped up and said, oh, I get it we aren't doing basic research, are we here? We're doing practical research. I laughed and sent them on their way. I wanted them to analyze one week of data that they already had in the files. I wanted them to tell me how many problem oligos they had and how they broke down by type. After they did that, we looked at their data. Now they didn't have statistically significant samples of data. But they had... (coughs) analyzed over a week's worth of data and had 600 bad parts. They deduced where they should spend their time to fix the problem. The focus was on the process of one of the departments. I asked the CEO to give me his assessment of the problem before they started. He told me that his hunch was going to be that that same department, the one that the team had identified. And the fun thing about this process was it only took the team of five people to analyze the data and come back with the numbers in two hours, and that confirmed the CEO's guess. My point here is that the scientific paradigm has its roots in nonlinear thinking, but the focus on waste elimination keeps the team's problem solving on a track. Eliminate the waste by collecting enough data to convince any decision making doubters that there is a problem. And then you can go forward with your solution. If every decision in business followed this methodology, fewer catastrophic decisions would be made. Many CEOs make decisions thinking they have statistically significant numbers to back up their decision. My point is that when all is said and done most CEOs don't need a lot of data and information to guide their decision-making. They just need a little information and they will be right most of the time. This is more of the rationale as to why the 567 rule works. I had an early business mentor who told me that fifty percent of his decisions turned out to be right. He was a genius. He felt that a CEO, if he was close to 50% right in his decision, he would keep his job. The scientific attitude. When you draw a parallel to science, you find that the scientific inquiry is exactly the same. In science, we don't care why our theory can't explain a particular phenomenon. We want to know how we can explain it. In science, We never look for the idiot who developed a particular theory to explain a phenomenon and blame him or her for the problems that a theory presented. We collect the data and then try to fit the data to a theory which can't explain it. All of this is carried out in the atmosphere of no blame. It is clear that in order to affect change in business, it must be done from a perspective of change without reprisal. In other words, people need to be free- To input ideas for change without fear of reprisal from a boss or a management system or a style of management that resists his new ideas. In order to change, new ideas are needed. So we established a philosophy of no blame. We don't care who or what is responsible for the problem. We just want to identify the problem and fix it with a cost-effective solution. The Uncertainty Principle The uncertainty principle rocked the world of physics in 1927 when Werner Heisenberg concluded that the rules of measurement of the macro world did not not apply to the micro world. He perplexed his fellow scientists with his startling revelation because his theory established a decoupling of key micro indicators, location, and momentum in a way never imagined. The essence of the uncertainty principle that as you study the atom and the fundamental particles of matter, you will have problems trying to get all the information with the precision that you need. You may know exactly where an electron is in space, but you won't know anything about its momentum, like how fast it was moving, and vice versa. Who would have imagined that our ways of measuring things in our visual world did not apply to the micro-world? A number of years ago, I was struck by a Heisenberg uncertainty condition that I was trying, when I was trying to get a company to deliver both quality and high productivity at the same time. One of the workers said, you can have our product fast, cheap, or better. Pick two. He was giving me back the company line of a particular type of uncertainty principle that was at work in American business. I've never bought that line. You can actually do all three, and that is what I've tried to do in the War on Waste. If you can increase productivity with dramatic worker productivity, no matter what the business, you should be able to do so with both high quality and a sense of urgency. And we have done this time and again. There is no uncertainty condition at work, only laziness. A corollary effect of the uncertainty principle in business is a principle known as the Hawthorne effect. One way to summarize the Hawthorne effect, if you watch a worker and you have a stopwatch in your hand for him to see, you will get different results than if you do the same test while out of sight of the worker. In other words, your presence alters the measurement. The worker feels that Big Brother is watching if you stand out in the work area with a stopwatch. In other words, you can interfere with productivity measurements when you measure them. That is... Is a corollary of the uncertainty principle. If you try to get all the information that you can about the position of the electron, you'll have little information about the momentum. In other words, the precise measurement of the electron position almost destroys all information that we have about a minimum. So when I walk out onto the factory floor with my stopwatch and workers see it, they change their production rates and my measurements lose their accuracy. In other words, the workers change their normal work rate when they see managers measuring them. So our solution is to let people do their own measurement and then hold them to high performance standards with continuous improvement measurements using our world record report. See the world record report discussed earlier, or a similar measurement tool. And this way we get accurate, reliable information. That's the end of Part 2 of the War on Waste Innovation, Chapter 6. Thank you very much. If you want to find out more about us, you can go to the, our website, www.waronwasteacademy.com, or you can email me, len at and we'll see you in Chapter 7. Thank you very much for your time.